Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Welcome to yet another episode of your favorite podcast, Fiddle and Pipe. I am the only non-hungover person here, the only true adult, Brittany (laughs) Ross. I am currently babysitting my co-host, Catherine Flensham, who is drunk in Denver. Oh, what? No. Or hungover in Denver. Don't listen to her. (laughs) I am fine. It's been a full afternoon. (laughs) And my other, I guess not my co-host, but a guest of ours, you've heard his voice before, he has been a frequent flyer of our podcast, the bassist and the co-host of Mm Mm. Conversations. I am presenting you straight out of Atlanta, Georgia, the hungover Matthew Richards. I love it how she said hungover. I feel great. I know, right? I don't know what she's talking about. I feel great too. I feel fine. Now this morning, (laughs) no. Uh, We had to push this podcast recording back because you two... (laughs) Word. I was ready. Y'all, y'all was the ones who decided to move it. I could have got myself together and I'd have been ready to go. <laughs> I was not ready. <laughs> Wait, Matt, are you eating hash browns? They're not hash browns. This is a Mexican seasoned steak. Ooh. Slash. Ooh. It's not steak. It's pork chop. I didn't realize this was dinner. I would have brought my own food here. Kind of hungry now. Um, this is this is the fiddle and pipe uh, restaurant featuring well-known recipes for you to try at home. Is your podcast sponsored by HelloFresh yet? Should I should I say that? I did order HelloFresh uh, for this week, so does that count? Well, there there you go. What's also fresh is this new book that we're reading today, or I guess for the month. <laughs> Ayo, that was a good one. Uh, what are we reading today? Or I guess hopefully have read before today. Everything is fucked. And I'm not saying that in a literal sense, but this is the book, Everything is Fucked, because, like... But you're also not wrong. Exactly. Because everything is fucked. By Mark Manson. <laughs> it is 2022. Yeah, when was when was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck written? Was that, like, 2016? It was 15, 16, something like that. Okay, because this one, I was, like, reading it, and I'm like, was this written during the pandemic? And it was written in 2019, from what I've seen. It was May of 2019, so it was right before... COVID. I finished reading it right before COVID happened. So in a lot of ways, uh, I guess I, this book prepared me for that in a way. Yeah, I yeah. think this is just an, yeah, another book that was kind of predictive of what was to come. How clever. <laughs> How clever of Mark Manson. I mean, scientists have been saying if you look at medical studies and epidemiology studies, like Scientists have been predicting that we're going to have another pandemic for like 20 years before COVID happened. So people saw this coming. Yeah. I guess if you say it every year, it's bound to be true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We are collectively struggling today. So I guess (laughs) without further ado, let's get into this. So dive right in. This book was, um, had some like conflicting feelings just right from the beginning. Really? Yeah. What do you mean? So we get into chapter one, which is the uncomfortable truth. He has this whole blurb about Beatold Pilecki or Pilecki. It's Pilecki. I listened to it on Wikipedia because I was like, ooh, names. I need to probably listen to this mm-hmm. after we talked about like Carlisle and Caius or whatever it was in the last oh new God. moon episode. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me like look up some of these names and pronounce them right. <laughs> 
hopefully. So if we're doing free plugs for people who don't need free plugs, there is a podcast that I listen to called Lions Led by Donkeys, which is a military history podcast, but they kind of cover military history that doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. And they did a three-part series on this guy. Oh. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's pretty recent. You should check it out if you were interested in his story. Yeah. But long story short, I guess if you didn't read the book, he is, or I guess was, he passed, rip. He was <laughs> a Polish dude who lived during like World War One, World War Two times. And he was just a total badass who couldn't really stand for anyone conquering poor little Poland. And he kind of thought that like something was sus about Auschwitz when it was built so he was like "Mm, i'm gonna sneak in there and then all of the people of the secret army that he was working for were like "Mm, nah fam that's a bad idea and he was like no i really think something weird is going on here and they were like uh i guess you can go but thoughts and prayers buddy so he went in and basically lived there for two years and set up this super secret military resistance and smuggled in food and medical supplies and stuff and was one of the first people to alert uh like the allied forces about auschwitz being like a mega death camp mega death camp it's kind of angering that like the point where he mentions that like even mentions of like the holocaust had gone up to like eisenhower and churchill and they were like we're not really sure that's happening i was like damn yeah they're like it's not that bad like it can't be that bad <sighs> that's parallel to the present if we're being honest mm-hmm. people yeah, are is. downplaying things that should be horrifying but we're just like oh that's probably fine yeah yeah i feel like that's kind of like a recurring theme in humanity is we just downplay what we can't see we perpetually turn to a blind eye which kind of brings like Mark Manson around to his argument for this chapter, which is like the whole aspect of the uncomfortable truth is what he says is like the incomprehensibility of our existence. And what he means by that is that like our life doesn't really matter because our lives are so short and insignificant and like our circle of influence is not that big. So we project importance on ourselves and everything we do to basically keep us going throughout the day because if we don't, then we realize that like nothing matters in the grand scheme then like what's even the point of living i was kind of shocked um i feel like i should maybe have remembered this from the subtle art of not giving a fuck but this book's even darker like there should be a trigger warning for like suicide and depression and all of that kind of stuff if you're going to read this book and probably listen to this episode yeah (laughs) yeah here's the thing so i read this book back in 2019 and i skim skimmed a little bit of it in preparation just to refresh my memory but I remember when I first was reading it, I was like, I was thinking like the subtle art was kind of like him going off about his worldviews and stuff like that. And then when he realized that people were listening, he was like, oh, well now I can like really go off and just like completely just go to town with my second book. And yeah. it got to a point where I was kind of like, okay, this is, I think we need to pull it back a little bit. You're doing a little too much with this one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was kind of my initial thoughts at the beginning, which is why I said, and we can kind of get into it more, like, I was kind of really turned off. I mean, the Pletsky stuff was very cool, very interesting, but his main, like, yeah, you know, if we can't find meaning in our lives, like, we basically just should kill ourselves, I'm like, oh, like, I'm fine just 
petting my cat. Like, yeah. In his mind, I think that's finding a purpose, like yeah. petting your cat and being there for your cat. That's something. So, I mean, I see what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I get why he says it the way he does, because he's just like, let me shock you with the truth. But, it, yeah, it does feel like a little too much sometimes. Yeah. And he says that we need to, um, basically our way of like getting through and like combating the quote unquote uncomfortable truth is to give ourselves hope. And he did make it a point. I looked in his notes in the back and he made it a point to say like, when he's talking about hope, what he really means is more of like a motivation or like a purpose in your life as opposed to like just hoping for something. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a call to action instead of like waiting I hope something changed. Yeah, I guess more like action instead of passive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see where he's going, but it just seemed very like, I'm going to hit you right with the main point, And then like, then we're going to get to how to combat it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this whole, this whole is an entire genre by now, of these books where it's like, they're trying to shock you with their titles and their first chapters and everything. Yeah. And then it leads them into their greater point. Mm-hmm. But the novelty of, hearing oh my god everything is fucked yeah it is let me see what he has to say like that novelty is an entire genre of uh, self-help or whatever kind of book you want to call it yeah i'll be really honest i kind of liked how he opened up and talked about the uncomfortable truth and i think it's just because like what i've experienced this year with my mental health and depression i've definitely have thought this past year, like everything is fucked. What's the point of all this? And definitely have been in that dark place. So I can definitely relate. I liked how upfront and straightforward he was with the message, like, this is it. For me, like, I don't think he's wrong. (laughs) I've had moments where it's like, society sucks. Everything sucks. This all sucks. Straightforward. He's not wrong. I guess I wasn't expecting for him to just say that and kind of let it sit for a bit. Mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking like, this is a perspective you can have and then here's a solution. And he just kind of like let that sit for a bit and like really dove into it, which I was just kind of like, are you, I feel like you kind of need to be like careful who's seeing this definitely, who's who's hearing this because it could definitely be like triggering to someone who's not in the correct mindset to deal with this. Yeah, I don't think I could have read this earlier this year, to be honest. I'm really glad I'm reading it now when I'm not in as much of that dark place that I was in earlier this year. I feel like if I read this earlier, I wouldn't have meld with it well. There should be a trigger warning, though, for sure. A lot of it is a mindset thing. Because I remember Mm -hmm. reading Subtle Art was like, that was the perfect time for me to read that. I needed to hear what he was saying in that. In 2019, I was kind of like, okay. Because the only reason I read this book is because I read his other book. And I was like, okay, dude, you're still going. Like your first book was good. Let's give this the next book a try. And then I think he, this one didn't have as much of an impact on me. And I think it's because I had already sort of jumped one of the hurdles that he was talking about in his first book. And so coming back to this, it felt like I was going back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it kind of brings you to the starting point of like subtle art of not giving a fuck, but in a different context. Yeah. Yeah, basically. He talks about how hopelessness is the opposite of happiness, like not having a sense of purpose or any kind of like motivation. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to give ourselves a sense of purpose. And he says some stuff about mental illness that 
I wasn't okay with. I'd be interested in hearing y'all's perspective on this, especially since Catherine and I are obviously disagreeing on <laughs> what what we like and don't like about this book. So I'm interested in the insightful conversation that will happen. And I quote, Hopelessness is the root of anxiety, mental illness, and depression. It is the source of all misery and the cause of all addiction. This is not an overstatement. Chronic anxiety is a crisis of hope. It is the fear of a failed future. Depression is a crisis of hope. It is the belief in a meaningless future. Delusion, addiction, obsession. These are all the mind's desperate and compulsive attempts at generating hope. One neurotic ticker obsessive craving at a time. Unpopular opinion. Sometimes it's just brain chemistry. Yeah, I think it's an oversimplification. I think he's twisting things that could be construed to make his point. Yeah, he's he's lumping everything under one umbrella mm. when it doesn't okay. necessarily there there's always nuance to it. You got to you got to remember that different circumstances can mess with that over. Yeah. I don't think hopelessness is the root root of all these causes specifically. I think it can be in certain situations, but I think like from what I've experienced, I feel like hopelessness kind of develops over time. I mean, at least for me, it developed over time <clears throat> and to a point where I just really didn't, where I literally was like, I don't give a fuck, <laughs> to mm -hmm. be honest. And I was pretty much hopeless, but I don't think it was the root cause of, I do think that hopelessness is a big part of like what continues depression. When I was reading that stuff, I was like, this makes sense because in some ways, because I am have am experienced this experiencing this right now but i wouldn't necessarily like go to him for mental health advice i would go to my no. therapist for that <laughs> he's not a psychologist is he is he a psychologist mm -hmm. no for me when it comes to mental health i go to a professional for that kind of stuff and like their guidance i think his expertise is like relationship advice he was a blogger, wasn't he? It's like a dating. He was a dating advice blogger. Or something. Mm -hmm. Being very honest, I am someone who comes from two parents who struggle with anxiety. So therefore, I genetically have a predisposition to have anxiety. And I have anxiety, but I also have childhood trauma. I don't think he's necessarily wrong, like hopelessness or a lack of having a motivation or a purpose like will not help with these things but I don't think it's necessarily like the root cause I think yeah it's kind of um what is it called um nature versus nurture yes that's what I'm trying uh. to think about yeah so I think it's like yeah, I don't think it's necessarily going to help but I don't think in all cases like oh mm -hmm. you have depression that means you're not motivated Exactly. Or like just because you're not motivated means you're going to have depression or anxiety yeah. or addiction or whatever Everyone's experience with these things are completely different and it's not going to be all the same where mm -hmm. it comes from, how it starts. And you could have depression and still be out there doing things. It's not like you're always feeling like things are pointless and hopeless because of depression or mm -hmm. vice versa. It's like they can exist with other things too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He was just like, this is not an overstatement. He put a four by it in his notes. He was like, this is definitely an overstatement. I'm like, I get that you're saying that to like, he kind of has like this tongue in cheek humor, but I feel like, especially with like 
you know, living in 2022, like the stigma behind mental illness, like how sensitive of an issue it is. I feel like it can't be that yeah. basic. It can't be that stripped down. The nuance mm-hmm. isn't there. Yeah. yeah. It comes across sometimes as some of those like influencers. Like, I don't know if y'all know which ones I'm talking about, but it's the ones that are like. I get up every day at 4 a.m. and make myself yeah. a green goddess smoothie. Right. And then exactly. I work out for 30 minutes. Mm. And if you don't, you are trash. Yeah, it's like I, I'm, yeah. On the gr- I'm on the grind constantly. And that's why depression doesn't exist in my life or something. It's like I'm doing something every minute of every day. Uh, you know, I have an epic morning routine. And it's just like. You're depressed. Have you invested in running shoes? Yeah, they, they, they yeah. come up with all these things that you're supposed to be doing. And then suddenly depression's supposed to magically go away. It's not how that works because no. then what if you can't do that stuff and it right. stresses you out? It just makes that depression like grow. Exactly. Just coming from straight up experience here. Yeah. It has uh, some of that energy coming from it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. Yeah. And maybe yeah. it's hard to be that tactful and that acknowledging of everything if you have a self-help book and you're trying to get one point across, but then maybe don't get into the area of mental health. He does mental health well in like chapter two and three. So I was disappointed that chapter one mental health was handled not well, I guess. Or at least this section. I think it was just meant to like grab your attention. Be like, see, I'm Mm -hmm. saying all this shocking stuff. What am I going to say next? Hmm. You have a good point. Pulls you in with his tricks. Kind of going off the whole... I guess, anxiety and depression and mental health thing. He says that it is easier to have, for lack of a better word, an existential crisis because our lives are easier comparatively than they were 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And I kind of thought about do nothing, how we talked about that we have a lot of just like societal anxiety because we are not evolutionarily designed to work for eight hours a day. And and then just having big gaps of time where we don't need to do anything because we don't have to hunt. We don't need to build our huts. We don't need to, as I say, make sure like our children are not getting into anything, but like we still have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) He cites all these studies on anxiety and here are some statistics that he pulled in the u.s symptoms of depression anxiety are on an 80-year upswing among young people Mm -hmm. and a 20-year upswing among the adult population people are experiencing depression in greater numbers and they're experiencing at early ages earlier ages than previous generations Uh, men and women have reported lower levels of life satisfaction drug overdoses have recently hit an all-time high across the u.s and canada so it's like even though our lives are getting easier we're mentally feeling worse we've kind of if not fixed alleviated problems that we had in the past as a society as society and then like today as we have like advanced it's like we've created new problems that considering this was like written in 2019 if you think about it this these stats are probably way different maybe higher i would assume since the pandemic this yeah the studies coming out about especially like childhood abuse drugs and anxiety and depression are like skyrocketing i think teen Mm suicide like teen suicides are on an all-time high currently which is terrifying if you think about it a lot of that is just due to the amount of stuff that we see Mm -hmm. like we Mm -hmm. see both good and bad we see you know all these horrible things happening in various parts of the world and we're like oh my god why this is awful this world is awful why am i here 
And then you see, even when you see good things, you're like, oh my God, I'll never match up to that. Like everybody has expectations of me and I'll never make it like. Yeah. Like we made life easier with social media and like connecting with each other and everything like that and the internet as well. But I feel like that downside of it is that we do see all of that now. And I think that's just caused so many problems like today. Technology is evolving way faster than our brains can keep up with. Exactly. Terminator. This was kind of like, oh God. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I'm like sitting there and I'm like, what's going to happen next? Like, it just feels kind of mysterious and like, I don't like unsettling. Like, how are we going to like fix this? How are we going to be able to like help the mental health crisis? It seems like, because it's just gotten worse. I think since 2019, I think like during COVID especially, I feel like mental health has been more of a topic lately. Mm-hmm. But I think there needs to be a lot done still. There's a really funny YouTube series where the guy is a time traveling news reporter and his job is basically to go to 2020s and report back to them in 1990, like four or something. And he, he there was one where he was talking about the internet. Don't go. Yeah, he was, like, he was talking about the internet or something. It's like, the guy from the 90s is like, oh, yeah, the internet. That sounds like a great place full of all kinds of great knowledge. And he's like, no, it's full of terrible <laughs> things. We should stop this. Don't go on Windows 95, for God's sake. <laughs> Don't upgrade your computer. <laughs> also, Google owns the world. Like, <gasps> Wait, was Google existent back then? They were a company, but like, they didn't like have the weight and the power. Amazon was selling books back then. Yeah, th- mm-hmm. these companies all like were present, but they were doing different things. And then when oh, they wild. were in their garage band phase, <laughs> garage <basically>. band phase, <laughs> like like actually in the garage, like they were in the garage <laughs> selling their books. I guess one thing that's good is we don't really see the comparisons of like, you know, Bill Gates dropped out of school and now he's a trillionaire. I don't really see that as much anymore, which is kind of nice. I guess that's a step forward in mental health, right? That's mm-hmm. part of people turning against these uber rich people. It's like, okay, why do I care about this billionaire's life? I don't really care. Like, Yeah, it's like, well, now he has a ton of money and he's divorced. So, yeah, so like, maybe that's not the life I want to live. Aren't they all divorced? <laughs> no, like mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos, I definitely know is divorced. Yeah. Bill Gates is Elon Musk. I don't think he was even married. I know his, or he's like a partner. His partner. I mean, his partner's like significantly younger than him. Yeah, Yeah. he was. He was like dating Amber Heard for a hot minute or something. And he was also dating. uh, Was it Grime? Some some woman who has like one name. Maybe. (gasps) Yeah, I think that's. I think that's her name, Grimes. And she's like twenty years younger than him. Yeah, but so is every other celebrity. I think she has a kid with him. Is that hmm. is wait is that kid E equals MC squared or whatever its name is? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Wait, really? Is that the name of the kid? It's something weird. It's some it's some equation or something. Let's look it up. Yeah, it's so stupid. Why? Why do people think this is like just? Let's continue this tradition of <laughs> Britney Google's things. I feel. I mean, why? What? Because no. he's pretentious. No, that's just so, that's so annoying. Oh my God, he has 10 kids. He has 10? Really? Apparently, that's what Wikipedia says. God damn. He goes around. 
He's spreading that seed. I'm gonna I'm have to type this man's name in the chat because I can't even say it. What? This is this man's name. Uh, that's his kid's name? That's the kid's name. The, the newest kid? Oh, that poor kid. You know, if I were his kid, I'd be like, I'm changing my name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Well, I think the state of California made them change it because it's not like letters that are in the English alphabet. It's not, dude. Yeah, like, come on, dude. You're not that cool. You've made, you've made a nice series of electric cars. Good for you. Name your kids something a little bit more, like, simple. Elon Musk said that the name of his kid is pronounced X-A-12. His kid sounds more like a robot or like a cyborg. Why would you? That's Terminator right there. (laughs) This is my son, X-A-12. I under, what do you? Here's his sister, C-3PO. What do you call him, X? (laughs) Ash? (laughs) Like, why would you? He is a vitamin. The kid's going to get beat up in school. That kid's probably going to go to the nicest private school right. in the state of California. He's going to be on a jet learning. Like, they, they're going yeah. to go to Mars. Yeah. What is it? SpaceX? Right. They're going oh. go to they're gonna go to Mars and start their own school with blackjack and hookers. So what are our solutions to build and maintain hope so that way we don't become like Elon Musk and have an existential crisis and name our kid X- Ash A12 or whatever his son's name is. <laughs> um, well, control in our own life, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we need to have values, something to look forward to or towards and a goal or a sense of purpose. Yeah, and then we need a community with us, you know. Good like, job class. Surround ourselves with like <laughs> people that are supportive or have the same kind of like goal or interests that, you know, we're working towards. So is that the right answer that you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> Did I get an A? Was that correct? Did I get a B plus? You got an A. B you, plus? <laughs> you earned yourself a spicy chicken biscuit from McDonald's. Oh, thanks. If they actually Aww. gave me the freaking biscuit and not the McGriddle. <laughs> <laughs> Except hating. that was pretty tasty. Over here hating on the McGriddle. I've never had one until today. And it was it was definitely something I didn't expect. But with the spicy... And the sweet mixed, pretty damn good. Just saying. But not what you wanted. No, I just want a biscuit because that's just me. <laughs> I like biscuits. I want McDonald's now. I think we need another McDonald's happy hour. <laughs> oh, oh, my Lord. God. <laughs> when was the last time I had McDonald's? Goddamn. <sighs> McDonald's breakfast slaps so hard. Mm-hmm. We had breakfast. I used good. to eat McDonald's every day while student teaching. So that's probably why I don't miss it. That's probably why you have colitis. Uh, you're pro- not wrong. I used to eat it every day when I was like in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, my parents used to get fast food a lot. Actually, Dave and I were talking about that today. And he's just like, it's weird that you don't have fast food cravings. And I'm like, I think I just got burned out on it as a kid. Yeah. I got burned out on McDonald's because I went every single like day when I was younger for my brother's baseball practices and games. So I was a frequent flyer there. And then... I think like after that, it was just kind of like, I don't really crave this as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But every now and then, every blue moon, it's like, I want a Big Mac. Every now and then when you drive past it and with the window down, you can smell it. You're like, mm, I kind of want That's it. That's how, how I always feel and whenever I do really long runs. I usually run by this strip of fast food restaurants that has like a Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and 
Zaxby's and just running by all that Zaxby's. when I've been running for, you know, two hours, it smells amazing. I'm like, can it. I just like pit stop, go through the drive-thru, <laughs> run through the drive-thru? There are times where I'll run the trail I go, I run is under like all the main roads and stuff like that, it just goes through the city. An underpass. Yeah, I guess that that's it. <laughs> there's like one point where there's a Chick-fil-A and I can smell the, it's like a block away, but you can smell the fries all the time and I hate it because I'm running and I'm like... I'm like seven miles away from my house. <laughs> I have no wallet on me. <laughs> right. Like I could run there and then run back home from Chick-fil-A. But you know how many times I've contemplated just going there and being like, I'm running and I don't have my wallet. Can I please have some fries? If you have your phone and use Apple Pay, if they take Apple Pay. Don't tell me that. There's a reason why I don't run with money. <laughs> if you download the app and you just purchase the food via the app. And don't then you say that this. you're here when you go, don't tell then me this. you don't have to pay like you already paid on your app. Do you know why I don't do this? Because stuff like that happens. <laughs> because I'm trying to have self-control. <laughs> but apparently self-control is an illusion. Which it's is, an illusion. <laughs> according to Mark Manson's second chapter, which I was just like, okay, thanks. I guess I don't need to read this because it's all fake. Damn. This story made me so sad, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. the guy named Elliot, which had, like, a brain tumor and, like, basically became, like, emotionless. I was about to say unemotional. After he got it taken out, after they did the surgery. It makes me so sad. Damn. It's a part of you that's, like, gone. Yeah, he became emotionless basically to the point where, like, his, he, like, lost his job because he was just, like, missing all these meetings and, like, not doing things on time. And, like, his marriage struggled mm-hmm. to the point where he got divorced and he wasn't showing up for things for his kid. And eventually he, like, lost his home. And it's just, like, your life goes from, like, you know, 100 to zero just because you got this brain tumor taken out. That, like, really sucks. And yeah. the moral of Manson talking about the story was, in theory, if... He got this tumor taken out, and now he can't be emotional. Then why is he making the wrong decisions? Like, what led him to, in theory, if he's, like, a logic robot, why did he make these decisions to lead to Mm -hmm. his ruin? And he talks about this thing called the classic assumption, which is probably something that this whole book is built around, which is... The assumption that if a person is undisciplined, unruly, or malicious, it is because he lacks the ability to subjugate his feelings, that he is weak-willed, or just plain fucked up. Um, You see passion and emotion as flaws, errors within the human psyche that must be overcome and fixed within the self. Which I thought was, like, interesting that we have gone so long and valued logic over emotion. And I guess I've always known that we do that. But we just always assume that logic is right and emotions are wrong. And we've, mm-hmm. you know, for hundreds, thousands of years, we've just tried to, like, push down our emotions instead of dealing with them. And that's just led to nothing but grief. You you have to wonder, where does that even come from? Like, why do we assume that logic is what needs to rule out? Because what really are we doing if we're not doing it for emotional reasons? You make a good point because I don't even think he mentions it. Like he gives us that he gives us that whole like history lesson in like one part of this book where he kind of like says like it since like the beginning of like this time 
Like the Greek philosophers. Yeah, like the Greeks did this. Like they, you know, let's think more logically and less emotionally. And that's been like kind of the trend for like years, years and years. He doesn't really, he doesn't really say why. And then he was like, wasn't it great when we can do ice pick lobotomies and like force people not to be logical or not to be emotional? I'll be really honest with you. I've heard of lobotomies before, but I never like quite looked them up. I never took psychology. I don't know if like that was learned in psychology. I never learned that in anatomy, but I was like, what the, I've heard like what lobotomies are and I know that like how to deal with the brain. I didn't realize it's sticking a freaking drill up your nose to your brain. Like I saw pictures of it on Google and I'm like, people did this? Yeah. struggle with self-control as being too emotional and we celebrate people like ceos that have the or at least what we think is like the illusion of self-control where they're like oh i haven't seen my family in like six weeks that's exactly Mm -hmm. what you said the illusion of self-control because it's an illusion there are all these dudes like it's like some of that alpha male energy it's like there's all these dudes that are like oh i would never be so emotional as my wife but these dudes are always punching things and throwing things when they're upset. So it's like, clearly you're emotional too. Your emotion is just anger. Yeah, pent up anger or Mm -hmm. like making the conscious decision to like avoid things, which avoidance. Exactly, which is an emotion. Mm -hmm. So It is like an emotional decision to like avoid something. Exactly. Because you do that to protect yourself. So it's like, that's, it's not like a rational thing. Yes, emotionless (laughs) my ass. We have to decide to change ourselves to have more self-control, which leads us to being unhappy with ourselves and beating ourselves up when we can't do that, basically. Mark Manson. I was supposed to say Marilyn Manson. We're doing this shit again, I guess. Did you see my brain like short circuit there for a second? Yeah, it's all good. I was like, is she thinking Charles Manson or Marilyn Manson this time? (laughs) But all of the above. He says that we cling to this narrative about self-control because the belief that we're in complete control of ourselves is a major source of hope. We want to believe that changing ourselves is as simple as knowing what to change. We want to believe that the ability to do something is as simple as deciding to do it and mustering enough willpower to get there. We want to believe ourselves to be the masters of our own destiny, capable of anything we can dream. And that's just not the case. And I feel like that's also a lot of root of like psychological problems is like not being able to control things. Yeah, I think that if you feel like you're not able to control things and you go back into this cycle of, like, changing yourself, it's, like, perfectionism, I feel like. I've been there. Sometimes I'm Mm -hmm. still there. I can't (laughs) control what's on the outside, but at least I can control myself. And then, but you take that to an extreme. Yeah, and it can be mentally damaging. Like, you could, Mm -hmm. like, I like to think of it as, like, overheating and to the point where you do break down, Mm -hmm. like a car. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't take care of it, you don't put oil, check your oil, put coolant in there, check your coolant, then most likely your car is going to overheat and yeah. hopefully not explode, but who knows? <laughs> Might just break down. So what we're saying, and definitely do this, is take care of yourself by drinking oil. <laughs> if you're C-3PO. <laughs> or or A-A-A-X-12, yes. whatever the hell it is. Elon Musk's new kid. R2-D2 Musk. (laughs) There we go. He goes into this whole blurb about the thinking brain and the feeling brain. 
They're really bad at talking to each other. Yeah, your thinking brain is like slow and methodical and analytical, accurate and impartial, and your feeling brain is like heck and fast and impulsive <laughs> and gives into itself and has intuition and instinct. There are times where my feeling brain is more in control than my thinking brain, and I relate to that. Well, isn't that what Manson said in his book is... Like, most of us, our feeling brains are in control, but we like to think that our thinking brains are in control, but that's just not how we operate. Yeah. Yeah, especially, like, I feel that way when I'm really overwhelmed. I And I, I did this a lot during the pandemic and before the pandemic, but, like, if someone, like, would text me and be like, hey, can you do this? I would immediately, like, freak out and be like, oh, my God, I have something else to do. I have to do it right now, where I know that I could easily do this task later Mm -hmm. and i would still have time to do it i don't need to get to it right away but i would be like i have to get to this right now or else i'm gonna forget or or else i'll be behind or else this person will be disappointed in me and i guess like i would do these like rash decisions and actions that would just stress me out (laughs) you're feeling brains like high anxiety and your thinking brain is like yeah let's justify that behavior (laughs) yeah exactly i'm definitely working on I'm not saying like I definitely have succeeded because like I just feel like this is a work in progress for me but I definitely have when I was reading this I was like I definitely have let my my feeling brain take over a lot of my decisions within the last year I think we all have just because it's been like such an emotional and mental struggle has been (laughs) since like COVID started yeah and now like recently I've been noticing that I've been a little bit more whenever I do have things that pop up or if I like if someone texts me and they're like, hey, can you do this? I'll be like, can I like hold on for a second um, and get back to you where I I try to get back as best as I can if I remember. (laughs) But I try to be a little bit more rational about like how I'm thinking versus like quickly to act and freak out. I'm working on it. (laughs) I feel like I need some of the opposite energy is where I need to stop my thinking brain because my thinking brain will just go on forever and just keep thinking. And then... And then you have inaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we just don't do anything. So I need some opposite energy where it's like, just do what you feel like doing. <laughs> it's really interesting reading this because I've always thought myself as like a super logical, analytical person to a fault. Which I still think I am, but it's, I feel like logic and emotion are tied a lot closer than what we think that they are. And especially with things like this, I tend to realize that a lot of the root of my logic is in feeling and emotion, because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to like make rational decisions like so quickly or at Mm -hmm. all. So I think I fall more in the camp where I need to, instead of acting like thinking things through and then acting on them I think I need to be like okay with letting things sit even if I come to a conclusion like just let it sit and like Mm -hmm. be okay with that yeah I don't know it's just interesting how our brains work everyone's so different everyone is different, but we're also the same (laughs) (laughs) basically what happens is like your feeling brain like we just talked about has like these emotions and then your thinking brain tries to justify whatever that reaction is Let's say, like, I know that I shouldn't spend any money on, like, unnecessary things, and Catherine suggests that we do a McDonald's happy hour Patreon recording, 
I'm like, hell yes, McDonald's sounds great. I'm going to go out and buy McDonald's. I'm not like thinking that through and going like, hey, you really shouldn't spend like the $10 on this fast food. I'm like, no, the reward of that is greater to me. And I'm going to act on that. See, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a good philosophy to have. It's just like, when it comes, especially when it comes to things like money. Yeah, I know I should be saving money, but also my mental state would be improved if I had this thing that I'm going to buy or whatever, whether that's food or alcohol or Digimon cards in my case, (laughs) whatever it is. I feel like you need to be very careful with that, though, because that can easily lead to like an enabling slope. And I've seen that. And that's when you get into like retail therapy and people who rely heavily on like comfort foods and. Right. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you got to you got to tamper that a little you can't just spend whatever you want on everything yeah. but as long as you're being reasonable you can be like oh, yeah you know i i didn't go out to eat this week so i can spend some extra money your feeling brain is always going to have a reaction to things and your thinking brain's job is to like just either justify that emotional response reason with it guide it or be like no <laughs> and then maybe you'll listen it's like i don't know whenever i'm like running with valkyrie like i can control her when i'm prepared for it but if she sees something she can easily pull me to the side if she wants to yeah (laughs) so like valkyrie's like the feeling brain and i'm like the thinking brain is kind of how i see it (laughs) i was about to talk about like like compare it with my cat like i can ask my cat to like come over and hang and ha- hang out with me in the mornings but also she can make that decision if she wants to or, or just like completely ignore me and go somewhere else in the house <laughs> yeah so like just because your thinking brain knows what to do doesn't mean that you'll do it yeah, yeah. since we are guided by emotion your emotion needs to like reflect what your thinking brain wants mm-hmm. i guess yeah he says that we don't do things because we don't feel like it. Like when we don't do things, when we make the decision to be like, mm, nah, not feeling this. Sorry. Like that's an emotional decision to not do the thing. It's not because we're not feeling it's, it's totally an emotional reaction. Like it's the same with laziness and procrastination and impulsiveness. These are all like emotional reactions to things. It's like, because I don't want to do it. I don't want to is an emotional statement. Like, you have strong mm-hmm. feelings against doing whatever that is. But if we don't feel, then we won't make value judgments on things. Like, we won't have be able to make any kind of decision on anything. Like, the guy, Elliot, earlier in this chapter, who, like, lost his family and his house and his job. Mm-hmm. Or it's, like, if you really don't have, I don't know, if there's ever anything where you truly don't have an opinion on. Like, if someone asks you where you want to eat and you're, like, I don't know and you're not playing a mind game and you just really don't have an opinion, that's when you don't have, like, the I don't knows popping up i feel like that's me all the time yeah because (laughs) nothing really matters it's like why does it matter if you get like zaxby's or chick-fil-a for lunch when it they're both chicken like it doesn't matter uh because one one is vastly superior that's why it matters first of all i miss zaxby's so much like (laughs) yeah if we don't think we become impulsive and selfish so we need to find a balance between thinking and feeling uh, Mark says that the solution mm-hmm. is to acknowledge your emotions and guide them in the direction that you want to make the action that you want to, which we kind of alluded to previously. And I think it was pretty insightful mm-hmm. of him to say, because I don't know, I feel like the second half of this chapter especially would be good for like a therapist to read. It's just really good about how to like acknowledge your emotions and deal with them as opposed to like stuffing them down <laughs> and pretending that they don't exist and be like, I'm a logic robot. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm a man. I don't have emotions. You basically need to like ask yourself how you're feeling <laughs> and then deal with the feelings and understand your feelings. And then, okay, so like after this recording, there's dishes that need to be get done. There's laundry that needs to be folded and some kind of dinner probably has to be made. I don't want to do anything. It's like 630 on Sunday night. I don't want to do any of that. That's like my gut. That's my feeling brain going like, nah. But I have to make that more appealing and be like, well, do you want to do it during the week where you have other plans and it would be harder for you? Uh, So you have to kind of like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like you need to talk to your feelings like they're a two-year-old and make it more appealing and like coerce (laughs) a little bit. I relate to that though because like there's definitely times where it's like I don't feel like doing this. But then I kind of like think back and it's like if I don't do this now, you're going to be stressed out later in the week if you have to do this. And do you want to be stressed out? Do you want to freak out? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. So sometimes it just like helps you kind yeah. of do the thing. My feelings hate being pandered to. I'm like, you'll feel better if you do if you do this now. And they're like, don't tell me how I'm going to feel. <laughs> don't patronize me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know how I feel. Thank you very much. I don't need you <laughs> to fix me. You know what I'm saying? You got some stubborn feeling brain there, Matt. My feelings are very, they are very (laughs) stubborn. They are just like, no, I'll feel how I want to feel. You can try to make me feel better, but I'll feel worse (laughs) to spite you. I love that because I've definitely felt that before. (laughs) This honestly, this section made me think of Atomic Habits, how you can only really change your habits when you want to and then how to keep up with your habits, like either rewarding Mm. yourself through an action going like I you know I worked out so therefore I'm going to get some ice cream or be like I worked out like I'm gonna feel good I'm gonna feel sexy like either rewarding yourself with like a mental thing how it's gonna make you feel mentally or to others or like a physical reward one thing that Atomic Habits did that I really like and I still really like is acknowledge that not every day is gonna have your a game and how to deal with Mm -hmm. off days and have it not ruin your whole trajectory and I feel like this did a good job of that too because Mark Manson said like you know sometimes you're going to feel lazy and that's okay but it's like if you're feeling lazy for example how do you compromise with yourself to still get at least like something that you know is like a logic oriented thing that you want like let's say I have the three chores that I really 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 don't want to do and I'm like okay I really just don't want to do all of them so Sunday night I want to react relax so I'm like okay we'll start with the laundry and see where it goes from there you know that's like kind of a compromise yeah one of the interesting pieces of advice I got from I forgot where but it was a while back but it was simple it was just do something because once you start doing things you kind of just want to keep going it's like the forward momentum of it will keep you yeah I kind of feel that way, like, with practicing. I feel like this is a good example. Like, if like if you have, like, spare time throughout your day and you're like, I can definitely play my instrument, but then, like, I, I know for me, I've definitely had days off where it's like, I don't really want to play my instrument, mm-hmm. but I know I need to mm-hmm. and I should. And then, like, I might, like, take some time off for a second, but then, like, what I'll do is I'll just, like, start with something simple, long tones, and give myself, like, five minutes for that. And then I'll kind of see, do I want to keep playing or do I want to just like end it here? Right. I've seen examples of, you know, start with like something simple, five minutes with a timer if you need to practice, but you're not really feeling it, you know, and then kind of see like where it goes from there. I do that 
Yeah, because it's just like I, I find for me, it's like especially on weekends because I'm not moving nonstop during the week. And then on weekends, I'm like, what do I do with myself? As soon as I start doing something after that, I'm like, well, I'm up now, so I might as well do some other things, too. Like, I don't want to stop. Mm-hmm. It's getting to that point where sometimes I'll just be sitting here at my computer just like, eh, I'll start at 12 o'clock. I'll start at <laughs> one o'clock and keep going. But once I start, it's like, okay, well now I don't want to stop. So Yeah, that's kinda how I am. Like once yeah. I get moving, it's fine, but sometimes like starting the getting moving thing is a little rough. I've talked about it with my mm-hmm. therapist before and we've talked about people with depression have like a faulty like ignition. Like, with a car, like, starting a car, it's, like, it doesn't always want to start. And I feel like my, like, ignition, I guess, is... We have a lot of car analogies today, but my ignition is, like, pretty strong. I usually don't have an issue, but I feel like when I do have an issue, it's just... It's really easy to give in to myself. It's because you didn't drink enough oil. (sighs) (laughs) I guess I gotta drink more oil. (laughs) Drink that oil. Yep, it's good for you. He says that if you have problems with your thinking brain, that forcing yourself to counter your emotions and learn not to give in to yourself is a solution to that. So basically emotional regulation and that true self-control happens when your thinking brain and your feeling brain are aligned and they're following the same action. And this is a skill that we need to work on. This isn't something that you're like, oh, well, you don't have any Mm self-control. You're just like a fat piece of shit. Like, no, you need to. Go read Atomic Habits. (laughs) That's like the best. That's the best thing I can recommend. for that it's kind of like you have to do the work you gotta work best to the yeah do the work to get the results that you want he has a little blurb about trauma which i guess is another trigger warning at the end of this um ep- or mm-hmm. as well say episode trauma. chapter and this kind of like bleeds into the next chapter a little bit where your thinking brain or sorry your feeling brain decides that we aren't worthy of things because bad stuff happened to us in the past So then we get into this vicious cycle of like repeating what we know and then feeling like shit and then repeating what we know and feeling like shit and that we've decided that we deserve it and that it leads to a lack of self-control. Yeah, I definitely like this because I have definitely been there. I think most people have. It's so relatable. And that brings us to um, chapter three, Newton's Laws of Emotion. He has this like cute little play on words. But what he said at the beginning of this chapter about Isaac Newton, Isaac Newton's like shitty childhood is true. I looked it up. (laughs) I didn't know this. I didn't know it either. Yeah, he basically said that his dad died like three months before he was born. And then his mom basically ran off with another guy when he was like three. Just like left. Yeah. And so he lived with his aunt and uncle and his uncle was like physically abusive. So he just grew up like this. Became farm. Yeah. He grew up this like sad, lonely kid who was physically abused and had this bag of like emotional neglect so he's like what if in this parallel universe isaac newton wrote these laws of emotion instead of motion laws of physics his three laws of motion his three laws of motion never mind (laughs) like what did he do again that's where the pun comes from he was the one with the apple right (laughs) yeah that's where the pun comes from the apple was gravity right Ah. i thought that was true Oh, I don't know. I'm a violinist. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was. Him. I remember like the last time I saw I like Sir Isaac Newton in my textbook was physical science freshman year. I know how to make a piece of wood sound really good, and that is what I do with my life. <laughs> is that what you did in physics? I don't know about apples. Yeah. 
That's law, <laughs> laws of motion right there. You got to use that gravity to get the bow to make sound. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. That's true. His first law is for every action, there is an equal and opposite emotional reaction. If someone wrongs you, you deserve to wrong them. You have this moral gap where you need to come to an equilibrium. Um, and it's the same if someone does something good to you, then you feel obligated to do something good for them. Just like how he was like, if I punch you in the face, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. First off, rude. Second. <laughs> yeah. Ow, hurtful. <laughs> mean he's like if i punch you in the face like obviously like you're gonna want to get back at me (laughs) (laughs) like yeah obviously like if someone punches you in the face you obviously want to get back at them to equalize it maybe a little bit more but then like he also talked about like what if i gave you like what was like a fruit basket or something a house a house if i bought you a house then you would feel obligated to do something Maybe not of yeah. the same scale, but something nice to me. A thank you card. He'd probably be like, oh, no. Thank you for the house. That's it. Dear Mark, thanks for house. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Love you. Love you. <laughs> XOXO. Gossip girl. Yours truly. Gossip girl. <laughs> He says this is how the feeling brain operates. It uses like a higher, higher arc. Oh my god, hierarchical, higher hierarchy. Hierarchy. Thank you. Uh, system with like better and worse relationship, and it makes decisions based on that info. The thinking brain can suggest like a reordering of the hierarchy, but again, the feeling brain really runs. Your emotions run the show. Your thinking brain is mm-hmm. to just like hopefully guide them toward what you want. <laughs> it's a nice relationship. I think it works out well. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. they're the perfect couple. One of us has to be the logical one. The second law of emotion is our self-worth is equal to the sum of our emotions over time. If someone does wrong to you and you're never able to equalize it, your feeling brain will assume you deserve it. And this gets mm-hmm. pretty trauma related. Um, it is also the same the other way around. For example, the example that he uses is, like, participation trophies. If you get, like, a bunch of medals and participation trophies, you're going to have this, like, inflated sense of self-worth and think that you're, like, hot shit when you're really not. (laughs) I know that he made this point in The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck where he said that it's narcissistic to assume that you get different treatment based on past experience, good or bad, and he says that here. I've definitely, like, felt that way before in the past. Like, I should get special treatment. Like, I've felt that way before, but, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, as I get older, I'm, like, I definitely don't see that way anymore. I think it's, like, a growth thing for me. (laughs) But what about me? (laughs) Me! I'm over here on the road. Like, when I'm on the road, everyone else should be off the road. I don't care where they're going. Basically. I think it's, like... You can't like come to an equilibrium, then your brain just like normalizes it because it can't deal with a huge, what does he call a moral gap? So that's why you end up just assuming that, oh, I deserve this, you know, good shit or bad shit. His third rule is that your identity will stay your identity until a new experience acts against it. If the same thing keeps happening to you and you keep responding the same way, it will become a part of your identity. Made me think of Atomic Habits again. How identity plays a huge role in our routine and habits. These two books are pretty intertwined. But parallel, yeah. Yeah. 
Which, did we say that with subtle art and atomic habits? Or did we say that with do nothing and atomic habits? I couldn't remember. Both books, I feel like, had... Like, I feel like they were paralleled in some ways. I think atomic habits or subtle art had, a, like, its own, like, parallels and do nothing did the same. I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of these books have similar core ideas. Mm-hmm. And they expand on they them do. in different ways. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. Mark says that the way that your brain kind of interprets this is a good or a bad thing happens to a person or thing, and then he, she, or it either does or doesn't deserve it. And your brain uses that to kind of like justify things that happen to yourself or others. Mm -hmm. And the more embedded something becomes in your identity, the more fiercely you will protect it from change, which again, talked a lot extensively in Atomic Habits, talked about extensively here, but not really to change yourself he has a section that talks about childhood trauma which i thought was interesting same he says that childhood trauma is so damaging because it has time to sit and like become an integral part of your identity and become a big part of who you are before you're able to address it and you're not Mm -hmm. fully formed mentally as a kid so everything affects you more extremely and more drastically Uh, so it takes you longer to heal and you're less aware that something is quote-unquote wrong as opposed to, you're like, oh, like, no, I've just always been high anxiety and have, like, abandonment issues. Like, it's mine. That's just who I am. <laughs> and then someone's yeah. just like, no, that's that's not right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The way to heal, according to Mark Manson, is to replace old, faulty values with better, healthier ones. The He, has, he suggests two things to do. He says you can reframe or extend your narrative. And I know that this is big in trauma and rape cases, Uh, You do that a lot in therapy where you basically reframe the narrative so that way you are not the victim of whatever happened to you or you extend it and realize that there are outside circumstances maybe beyond the scope of what you saw when you were a kid or you can write the narrative of who you want to be and then work Mm -hmm. on how to get there, which I thought was kind of enlightening after his first chapter was like, why does everything, why, you know, why give a fuck about anything? Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You're just going to die anyway. Like, it's fine. I mean, I definitely like these two ways that you can, like, work out your trauma or just in general. Like, writing out something, I think especially, like, seeing that physically there kind of helps. I think just writing down anything physical kind of is that extra reminder. Like, this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. I want to get better. I want to do this. I mean, for me, it's hard to do this. Because I hate writing nowadays, but I feel like when I journal things, I think, like, it really helps, like, set in stone, like, how I am feeling and what I am thinking. And when I look back at it, I'm like, you know, some of these things that I am thinking right now are just kind of more my own thoughts, not reality. Right. So. I wasn't expecting the emphasis on trauma and stuff, and so it kind of took me by surprise. And I was like... Honestly, everyone has trauma. We just have, like, different extents of it. Mm-hmm. Any situation where you can find a new approach to something to hopefully help make you a better person is insightful. Like, even if this is the only thing I get out of the book, I think it's a good book. And I don't mm-hmm. think it will be because Mark Manson's a good author. Even though he's, like, everything is fucked at the very beginning. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, I believe it. And then he has this little blurb about, like, people calling values from communities and nations at the end of the chapter, and I was kind of like, eh. 
Yeah, same. I didn't. I just like put down like reminds me of like building a community or something like that, or like sharing interests with the same people, and like everyone kind of gravitates like. It reminds me of, like, music school. You know, everyone in the music school kind of gravitates towards each other because we're all doing the same thing. We're experiencing the same shit. All playing those instruments. Being in that learning community. (laughs) That we were all thrown in freshman year, you know? Talk about trauma. I think that's trauma. All waking up for those 8 a.m. classes. See, ours were, like, at 5. Waking up for that 7.30 RL skills class. Jesus Christ. No, ma'am. I, I was you know? mentioning this to Brittany a couple of days ago, but, like, uh, talking to music majors nowadays, I kind of hate it. I'm like, y'all are talking all pretentious and all this. Like, y'all haven't been to the real world yet. Like, that kind of thing. But it, it's just, like, were we like that when we were in school? Like, We totally were. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Like being an, an adult professional musician, I'm like, I'm nothing like I was in college, I feel like. No, same. I was uh, like, I live, breathe, and eat music, and I practice like five hours a day or more. I know, that and was. And I sing everything all the time. And that was the mark. I just like I have all this knowledge of things, and now I'm just like, ugh, all state excerpts? Okay, I'll give you fingerings for that. Yeah. Oh, I have to cite you something? Okay, fine. <laughs> like, before, like, your sense of value was tied to how many hours you were in the practice room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, can I pay my bills? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get up on time for work. That's it. Spending eight hours in the practice room is traumatic enough. Right. Mm-hmm. To be honest. Yeah, I'm so. like, if I practice five, I'm good. <laughs> If I practice, period, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, Matt, would you like to plug your pod? Oh, oh, you already oh. know. Uh, my guys and gals and my nine binary pals, uh, we are on conversations. And they're delicious. <laughs> So smooth, so calm. Featuring your boy Matt, your girl Megan, your girl, your your girl, your boy uh, Malachi, of course. All M and and M. So M E M Emily. That that's an M. Emily. So, yep. That M E M. Exactly. So you know it, it works. If you want to let us know what you think about these first three chapters, you can go on our social media page at Fiddle and Pipe on Instagram. Let us know what you think. Leave us a comment or give us a message. If you want to follow us on our personal grams, Graham Crackers. I am at Cat Flinch Flute and Brittany is at BM Ross Music. And don't we have a TikTok? Didn't you make a TikTok? Oh, yeah. I made a TikTok, y'all, because oh, I no. am. <laughs> I, I, it's just because I've been making a lot of reels on Instagram and I'm like, I might as well just throw these on TikTok too and see what I get. Yeah. But we are at Fiddle and Pipe on TikTok if you want to follow us. I don't post on there as often as Instagram, but I do put up reels. So follow us if you're on there more often. And then if you are more of a Facebook person, I totally get that. Sometimes like people just like Facebook a little bit more. Sometimes you're over 30. Follow us at Fiddle and Pipe Forum. Yeah, sometimes you're over 30. <laughs> Or you are 30 and you're on Facebook, you know. (laughs) But yeah, social media. 
if you're over 30, there's a chance you might have a secure job. And if you do have a secure job, you might want to consider uh, contributing to us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe. Uh, we have extra content from all the episodes as well as two separate podcasts that we are running. One is a happy hour theme and the other one is mm-hmm. After Dark, which we are reading books for fun and explicit books and non-explicit books and lots of lots of fun stuff. Actually, I just put up our first um, After Dark episode, which has Be More Yoda with Matt yeah. and Wendy Tabor. So I will plug a blip from that here. So do you all want to talk about Star Wars and maybe your history? Oh, behind we it, have. Me, me and Catherine have <laughs> on this podcast multiple times before. And now we have Wendy added into the game too. So she <laughs> feel free to share what you want to share. <laughs> Sit down, my friends, and listen well. I'm already <laughs> sitting, so... <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> well, the story begins back in the mid to late 90s when there Wait, was Wait, a... don't you mean a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? Yeah, Georgia, right? <laughs> Called Georgia. This galaxy is not so far away. In the boonies where I lived, there was a little old me who figured out how to put in her VHS tapes at age two and a half. There you go. Look at you. Ah. Life skills. <laughs> skills. Life skills right there. <laughs> Can't use those skills today. For those who were born after 2000, a VHS is a type of tape that movies were stored on. And they were like 30 centimeters by like... Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over that. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. I can't convert. That just doesn't seem real that a foot would be 30 of anything. I'm sorry, it seems fake. For you Americans, a centimeter is a unit of measurement smaller than an inch. So it's 30 centimeters, one foot, or about two average dicks across. Something like that by like a dick and a half. And <laughs> I love this measurement. This is officially the international unit of measurement. Where, who, where do we go to like, like notify this? Like, who do we go to? The who government? Do we China, probably. Whatever your guys' ministry of measurement is, because we actually have one of those things up here. We have an entire branch called the Ministry of Measurement. I thought you were about to say the Ministry of Magic for a second. I was like, I'm The ma- Ministry... <laughs> Cornelius Fudge is in charge of measurements. All the dicks. I was about to pause this recording and be like, guys, do we even know if Canada's a real country? (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) It's it's in London. It's actually in London. Poor Wendy. I'm Um, sorry. I have been dealing with this shit since I was 10 years old before I met most of my Americans. Hey, to be fair, they still have better health care than us, so. They do. And better recycling. That too, so we can't talk. Yeah, I could go to the hospital and I have to go into bankruptcy. <laughs> so there's that. That sounds really nice. My knee don't work like it used to, and I just have to live with that. Did you say my knee don't work? <laughs> my knee don't work. <laughs> my knee don't work. My grammar don't work either. <laughs> 
sorry, Winnie. You said you were like about the VHS tapes. <laughs> it's like we're drinking, but we're not drinking. <laughs> no, we are sober, you guys. <laughs> I promise. And I live in a country with legalized pot. I am one hundred percent sober right now. <laughs> Under oath. <laughs> Some of the movies uh, I immediately started watching were Planet of the Apes and Star Wars. You know, back in the good times, before the dark times, before the empire. Before the dark times. <laughs> there you go. But since then, it has grown into, I have Carrie Fisher's autograph. I have a bunch of her books. Oh, wow. I converted my husband into becoming a Star Wars fan. Met a bunch of the cast members. That's love. I adored Peter Mayhew. He was a beautiful, beautiful man. I do have his signature as well. And it was like the year before he died. And I was like, oh, so sad. When I met him, I actually had the privilege of meeting him twice. The first time that I met him, it was shortly after Hurricane Katrina, like about two years after the fact. And he actually took in people who were affected by it. Did Mm -hmm. he live in Louisiana? I don't remember. But he was actually telling me about it. I even met his wife, and he was just the kindest, most gentle man that I've ever he met. He really is. Hmm. Wow. And when I he met him the next year, he remembered me, because this dude had a photographic memory. Oh. Dang. I think you told me this story one time, but it was a long time ago. We were in high school when I told you that. <laughs> yeah, it, that that was like a decade, over decade plus. Oh, Ago. Oh my god, we're so old. I know. Yeah. His hand like engulfed mine when I went to shake his hand. He was just like, oh my his god. His palm. Yeah. Like his hands are huge or were huge. He was a beautiful man. Oh. I I treasured being able to meet him. Yeah, so if you like what you just yeah. heard, patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe. If you're under thirty and Maybe you don't have a lot of money. I get it because I am also under 30 and don't have a lot of money. You can rate and review us for free on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Let us know what you think about the podcast, what you want us to, you know, talk about or read or something. Just let us know what we, what you think because that really helps us. Yeah. Do we have anything else? I think that's it. Rad. All right. Well, we will uh, pop back on here next week, I think, with chapters four and five. And until next time, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.